Hello, folks, and welcome to episode 11 of Music Nerds Unite. This is Matt, and I got my buddy Scott on the line. We are into our NIT heavy hard rock and heavy metal bracket. Um, we've got 10 groups to rattle off to you, but before we get into that, how's it going, Scott? You feeling all right? Good. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, man. Very good, very good. So we've got uh, number one seed, Deep Purple. Number two seed, Judas Priest. They are both going to get buys into the semis in their respective corners of this bracket. Then we've got number three seed, Motorhead, against the number 10 seed, Megadeth. Then we've got number four, Kiss, against number nine, Alice Cooper. And number five, Ronnie James Dio, against number eight, Ozzy, no middle name given, Osborne. None needed. <laughs> no and last then, name needed, just say Ozzy. Everyone knows who you're talking about. <laughs> and then number six, Thin Lizzy, against number seven, Cool. So these are some interesting matchups, and right off the bat, the first one I've got on my docket is going to be number five, Dio, against number eight, Ozzy. And just a reminder, if you're new to this podcast, this is the NIT, so some of the main bands, you know, were in the main NTA tournament, that's why you haven't heard the names, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin. ACDC, Van Halen, Metallica, Iron Maiden, and so on. So this is the kind of the best of the rest, although to me it's still a very powerful 10-band-slash-artist uh, lineup here. So uh, we'll get into it right away. With uh, This is a great matchup because uh, it's the matchup of uh, Ronnie James Dio, and, and that's an dis important distinction to make. So we're not talking just Dio, the band Dio. We're talking Ronnie James Dio and, and his various career outlets versus Ozzy Osbourne, who in this case, we're, we're sticking to his solo career. So we're both the two Black Sabbath, main Black Sabbath frontmen. Um, Dio had like one of the greatest runs in rock history, in my opinion, when you, when you talk about Rainbow, starting in like 75, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, and then Rainbow Rising in particular, with amazing songs like Stargazer and Tarot Woman, and uh, you had Richie Blackmore on guitar, just one of the great guitar players. Cozy Powell on drums, just a total monster. And then Ronnie kind of just entering his prime, you know? And then uh, it did Long Live Rock and Roll, another really strong album. And then Richie kind of wanted to go more commercial. Him and Ronnie didn't see eye to eye. That's kind of the story of Richie's career, you know, uh, butting heads with, with a lot of band members and being very headstrong and unfortunately, uh, well, maybe fortunately, because he went on to Black Sabbath and to me, maybe made the album of his career with Heaven and Hell, which uh, really revitalized Sabbath. It was a great, great album. Um, Children of the Sea, Neon Nights, uh, the title track, Die Young, amazing songs. Very different than the Ozzy uh, incarnation of the band, but kind of equally great in its own way, albeit not as influential for sure. And then the next album, The Mob Rules, was also great. Uh, you know, yes. The Sign of the Southern Cross with a bunch of other amazing songs. Uh, you had Vinny Apici on drums instead of Bill Ward, but, but they're both great drummers. So, you know, flip a coin, right? They're both phenomenal. Uh, then, then you had him going on to, again, the, what, there was a lot of back and forth about why they, they broke up. Bottom, I won't get into all that. The bottom line is they did. Um, you know, Dio left Sabbath and formed his own band, appropriately titled Dio. And especially their first two albums were, were complete classics also, Holy Diver and The Last in Line. Again, you had a PC on drums, just a monster player. You had Jimmy Bain, formerly of Rainbow, on bass. And, and then a great, great young guitar player, Vivian Campbell, who was phenomenal on those albums. Uh, so you're talking, that's like a 10-year run of just nothing but awesome music. And uh, subsequent Dio albums were maybe not as great. Some of them were good. For sure, um, he later rejoined Sabbath on a couple of occasions. Uh, 
late in his career, they were called Heaven and Hell. You know, I don't know how that came about, like we do to Sharon, kind of making sure the Sabbath name was not used, I would guess. But I saw a lot of those, I saw a couple of those concerts, actually, and uh, they didn't play one Ozzy-era Sabbath song, and, and it didn't matter. Like, they, they had enough great stuff to headline by themselves. So great, great band, great artists, one of the all-time great heavy metal singers. And, uh, you know, he's given credit with, uh, you know, the Devil Horn salute also. Got to, you know, give Ronnie credit for that as Matt gives me the salute. Uh, you all know what I'm talking about it. You've all done it at one point or another, probably. Um, so, you know, Dio's going to win this battle because I think he had far more longevity uh, of greatness. Ozzy had those amazing first two albums with Randy Rhodes. Like, how did he get this guy, right? After leaving Sabbath, he ends up with a guitar player who's like one of the all-time great guitar players. Sadly, short-lived, you know, he died in a plane crash, but, uh, uh, you know, those first two albums hold up. Blizzard of Oz, Diary of a Madman, two all-time metal classics, and, uh, you know, the thing about that album is it was they were originally supposed to be a band called Blizzard of Oz. A lot of people uh, maybe don't know that. It was the kind of the record company kind of uh, insisted on it being called Ozzy Osbourne. He had the name recognition, and uh, Bob Daisley, the bass player, actually wrote the lyrics supposedly for the first five Sabbath albums. Uh, and he doesn't get nearly enough credit. Uh, the Lee Kerslake, the drummer, did a great job. So, uh, you know, they were really a band on those first two albums. And then it was kind of a, a bit more of a musical chairs in terms of band turnover. Once Randy left, to me, it was never quite the same. I mean, you know, how do you place, replace Randy Rhodes? It's like, you know, trying to replace Keith Moon, right? Or, or John Bonham. Yeah. It's just not possible. But but Jakey e. Lee was a great guitar player in his own right. If, if you don't believe me, check out some of those albums and his own blues rock band Badlands, very underrated. And then you had Zach Wilde came on board. Uh, no More Tears was a, a really strong later album. And I got to say, I saw that tour, which was his quote unquote retirement tour. <laughs> and hands down, it was the best concert I've ever been to. Um, my friend and I, who I went to this with, we, we, we kind of talk about this over the years because what was amazing about it was how insane the crowd was. Like, it was in the Paramount, which was a small theater by Madison Square Garden, maybe maybe 5,000 people capacity. And, and you know, I swear there were, there was like 100 people on stage with him. And so it was complete bedlam, total chaos. I've never been to a concert like that. And, and as the years have gone by, it's, you know, it's gone from, hey, there were 100 people on stage to, man, there were like 1,000 people on stage. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the legend of this concert has just grown in our minds. And uh, honestly, I don't think he's done that much good stuff since. You know, Osmosis in 95 wasn't, wasn't bad, but, you know, I, I wish he kind of had retired, to be honest with you. I don't think much of what he's done since has been that good. You know, he, he, was, he, he had a high profile. I'm sure he was good on tour. You had Ozfest, which was a big deal, which he uh, kind of, you know, he became like the godfather of this newer scene of younger bands who looked up to him. Uh, which, you know, increased his profile. And uh, obviously the Osborne TV show was, was fun for what it was. And uh, But we're just talking musical legacy here. And I believe that Dio's, um, you know, that 10-year run he had is, is definitely worthy of uh, defeating Ozzy uh, if we're not including Black Sabbath, which we're not because they were already in the NCAA tournament. Dio, I think we can get away with because it's just the two albums and it's part of a larger overall thing. So we're going to go with Ronnie James Dio, although Ozzy, you know, those first two albums in particular will, will always be classics and, and, you know, among the best of of that era and of that genre. What do you got to say there, Matt? The, the fact that we're sort of partitioning off Ozzy from Sabbath and letting Ozzy's solo and Dio's sort of Sabbath end his own merits, I think you know, more and more I gravitate towards those Dio records that he did with Sabbath. Um, great. What's up? They're great. Yeah, Absolutely. no, just great records. And I really think Ozzy, I heard great things about that Heaven and Hell tour, too, you know, um, that it was very well done. Uh, I think they played Radio City 
with Dio. Ozzy, he's gotten a bit, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think you can knock him, you know, because he's Ozzy. But <laughs> there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a caricature and a, you know. Uh, Absolutely. Bit of a not, that, not that Dio didn't have a, a personality. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just think Dio's got a little bit deeper of a catalog considering um, as a solo measurement. Um, yeah. Now, maybe if Rhodes was on, you know, like it, it could have broken a couple different ways for Ozzy in the 90s, you know, or the, the late mid to late 80s. Um, I, mean, I have a theory that even if Rhodes had lived, he would not have stayed with Ozzy for that much longer, personally, yeah. but we'll never know that, right? Mm -hmm. And just for those who think, hey, you're including Sabbath with Dio, that's not really fair, and maybe you have a point there, but honestly, even if we exclude the Sabbath, with Dio and just go with Rainbow and Dio, I think he still wins this matchup. There you go. So that's going to be our first victory of the hard rock, heavy metal. Giving the devil horns for that one. The devil horns. <laughs> Dio's advancing. I mean, I'm sure Ozzy's got some kind of horn to give too, you know. Um, and that'll bring us to number six in Lizzie against number seven Cool. Hmm, I can't believe we didn't talk about bats or anything like that. I guess we missed that one, right? Well, we can have a whole Ozzy <laughs> episode. I mean, the world doesn't need to hear me talk about the guy that bit the head off the bat. You know? Yeah, I think that's kind of well-worn territory anyway. <laughs> so, so on to Thin Lizzy and Tool. Um, Thin Lizzy, I, I love this band. I, I think they're one of the most underrated bands ever, to be honest with you. Uh, I think they should have been huge, you know, like Queen, who, who they famously opened for, and many would say actually outperformed. Uh, I, I forgot what year it was, maybe 77, 78. I mean, they, they're kind of considered, a, I guess, a one-hit wonder by some people. You know, the boys are back in town, even though, you know, you used to at least hear other songs like Jailbreak and Cowboy Song, maybe, or Dancing with the... Uh, in the Moonlight was another one kind of Springsteen influence song and, and the Whiskey in the Jar, right? Later covered by Metallica, but I personally think Lizzie's version is, is way better. Um, you know, they were hard rock, but they, they did ballads too. You know, they were they were melodic with, with their signature, you know, highly influential dual guitar harmonies, you know, which would later influence bands like Judas Priest, Maiden, Metallica, all these these other legendary bands. You know, their leader was a, a black Irishman, right? So that kind of made them stand out, right? Who played the bass, who was, uh, but also just, uh, he penned these rugged, you know, macho, yet, yet romantic songs. And he was such a great soulful singer. Like he was not just your typical hard rock singer. He, he could sing soul ballads, you know, like I'm still in love with you as an example. Uh, and, and they just had so many great guitar players too. I mean, you had uh, Eric Bell early on when they were a trio uh, who Vagabonds of the Western World was a great out, early album with him and he just smoked. Yeah. Uh, and then they kind of coalesced into what many would consider their classic uh, lineup with Scott Gorham and uh, Brian Robertson with the dual guitars, both phenomenal guitar players, uh, which lasted uh, several albums, several great albums, Fighting, uh, Jailbreak, their peak probably, or maybe Live and Dangerous, the live album was their peak. Uh, mm -hmm. Johnny the Fox was another strong album with Don't Believe a Word, Bad Reputation, another really, really strong album. And then Robertson left, and, but they replaced him with Gary Moore, who's maybe the best guitar player of all of them and had a, a very notable solo career outside of Thin Lizzy. Uh, he, he joined for Black Rose, one excellent album. And then you had two albums with Snowy White, who, who maybe was another good guitar player, but really didn't fit them as well, didn't really cut it live like the others had. And then John Sykes was another really good guitar player who, uh, when they go, that was Thunder and Lightning, when they kind of went really yep. heavy at the end. And, and Sykes went on to Blue Murder and White Snake and, and other bands. Uh, so what a catalog, you know, they, they just never broke through like they should have. Like, it, it's a mystery to me. Why isn't this band huge? Why aren't they legendary? I mean, they are kind of legendary in certain circles, but, but to Joe 
Joe Blow on the street. Yeah, they're the, they're the band who thinks the boys are back in town. But to me, they were so much more than that. And I, I absolutely love these. I, I want to mention the drummer too, Brian Downey. Brilliant. One of the one of the great hard rock drummers. Just everything he played was perfect. So uh, maybe the lineup turnover was, was part of why they didn't make it. You know, and, and obviously Bill Lynott had a major drug issue, ended up dying very young as a result. I'm sure there were many missed opportunities because of that, you know, like Stone Temple Pilots kind of thing, how Wyland sabotaged their career with the drugs. Maybe there's a, there was a little of that. Uh, I'm not really sure why, but uh, great band. If you're not familiar with them, if you if you just know those few songs, I, I would say definitely dig deeper. And there's an amazing catalog there. Uh, so I'm gonna have them win this matchup over Tool, who uh, Tool is a very unique band, right? They're they're like one of those bands who's kind of a genre unto themselves, right? They, who, no one really sounds like Tool. Maybe like King Crimson, for example, was, was an influence on their sound. But, uh, you know, they're one of those famously unprolific, first of all. Like they, like they came out with an album last year after like 15 years and it was an event. Like they've been around 25 years and they have like, what, five albums? So, and they have like the most rabid fan base that I used to have a website of, of music reviews and, you know, it just later became a book or school formed the basis of a book. And, and I would have my email there and uh, I would, you know, sometimes get reader comments and a lot of them were, were very nice and cool. But if it was a negative comment about how like, I didn't get this band and, 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 you know, it was probably from a tool fan. <laughs> and I'm a fan, and I wrote mostly very positive reviews of their albums, but that just shows how hardcore they were, man. They, they're just a serious bunch, and don't, don't, no critiques of, of, of those guys. Uh, you know, they were, but they are a great band. Uh, very heavy, very edgy, kind of alternative metal, right? They could have been in, the, in our alternative bracket. Um, albums like Enema and Lateralists, I believe, are, are, were their peak. But you know they're they're not easy listening by any means. You know the, you know their songs are ten minutes long. Their albums are are seventy five minutes long. They have these weird segues slash interludes in their albums, which kind of wish they did a little less of. To be honest with you, um, you know they have these weird videos. And if you see them live, the the visuals and the videos they have in the background are a huge part of their live set. Very creative, very cool stuff. Uh, and uh, great musicians. Uh, Adam Jones is really impressive guitar player. Justin Chancellor, uh, Maynard James Keenan, you know, one of those, one of Rock's metals, you know, most compelling frontman slash singers, you know, wrote very uh, thoughtful, introspective lyrics. And then Adam Jones, just one of the greatest drummers ever, hands down. So again, we're talking about a tremendously talented band. I'm a big fan, but I just don't think they have the overall catalog, you know, in terms of quantity and quality that Thin Lizzy has. Maybe uh, if they would uh, get out and about a little bit more and release more stuff, they would have a more compelling case. But uh, I think Thin Lizzy, uh, you know, when, when you compare, when you when you list their catalog versus tools, it, it's clear to me which which side of the ledger, you know, I would lean towards. So uh, all due respect to Tool, they're a singular band. They're one of a kind. They're great at what they do. But Thin Lizzy is, is to me, uh, an all-time great band, too, even though they're maybe not regarded as such. I think they should be. Yeah, I would go Thin Lizzy over Tool. Um, I will say uh, I might be one to rail on Tool a little bit more than I should. But it's because of how overly seriously maybe some of those guys or ladies writing on your website like who the fuck cares you know sorry sorry but you know <laughs> they, they, they they didn't pull any punches man yeah but, <laughs> you know you could care you know you could <laughs> like I, I mean you could be really into something and then also be like all right that's what that guy thinks um, yeah yeah no they, they 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 they're like a type that that you need to see their point of view and 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 you're wrong don't talk sure, about that sure. man very good live, um, yeah, sure, and very interesting. Um, just, I've seen Nine Inch Nails, I've seen Cool, I saw a Perfect Circle open for Nine Inch Nails. 
it was great. And like Bulls always been great when I've seen them, and it's been very intense, but also there's a lot going on. And the fact that, you know, I don't really like the meandering 78-minute-long album. Um, ones I do like, I love, you know, and there are some sort of out there or repetitive or, you know, avant-garde type things that I've gotten into. I'm not necessarily into when Tool does that, but I understand that being an interesting I mean, that's an interesting comparison though with the Nine Inch Nails because they both had really dark, kind of strange videos. Yes. You know, and they both kind of, you know, epitomized that mid 90s vibe, you know, when, when Alternative was, was still a, like a big thing on the radio and, and bands as weird as them could become popular. I mean, Tool has number one albums. Uh, you know, it's amazing that they accomplished that given how uncompromising and and uncommercial their music is. Yeah, they've managed to stay with a rabid fan base and people like it, it's a moment whenever they put a record out, whenever they put out something. Um, and then even this new thing was a fear inoculum or, or something. Yeah, yeah. Record. Like, I, you know, it was an event. I've seen people like jumping Absolutely. on, going wild about it. So. Honestly, I can't remember the last time a rock album was that big of an event. Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. Probably something by Radiohead. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's an interesting sort of path that they've, uh, they've managed to plow. And um, Lizzie, one of my favorite bands, uh, I would definitely put them on over Tool at any day of the week. Um, but Tool deserves their place in this conversation, uh, I think, and he was on the first record. I wonder, because Rage Against the Machine came up around the same time, and he sings on their first record, and I feel like I read something or something. I, see, I, I don't he sings on that where he says, sick of, sick of, sick of you, I've got no patience. Uh, know Your Enemy. Yes, the song Know Your Enemy, he sings on. Oh, Maynard sings on. Yeah, yes. I thought you meant the other way around. Okay. Oh, no, no, yeah. Maynard sings on the first Rage record. And I remember hearing or reading somewhere in the corners of the internet that um, he may have been considered sing in Rage uh, before Zach. Um, it would have been a very different thing uh, for sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's a far better singer, but Zach kind of fits Rage, you know, like it's one of those chemistry things. Oh, yeah. Um, or maybe not Rage, but the band that became Rage or something. I'm not, yeah. I'm not positive. But uh, in Lizzie, uh, it was a little bit after their peak commercially. That Black Rose record. Oh, it's a great record. Absolutely. What's that? That's the one with Gary Moore. Yeah, man. Great song. Elvis is dead. The king of rock and roll is dead. It's such a great. (laughs) They they had like they will they will they rock they they were like legit hard rock but not quite metal because they always had that that sense of melody you know. The guitars and the pooling kind of yeah they were they were fucking good. So Thin Lizzy will go over. That'll be our uh, second victory here in this bracket. Now we've got number four, Kiss, against number nine, Welcome to My Nightmare, Alice Cooper. This is, uh, you know, obviously these bands are similar in some ways, right? I say bands because Alice Cooper, and we talked about this with, with Santana, is, you know, early on, Alice Cooper was the name of a band, not the name of a guy. I mean, he was the lead singer. So his uh, his name was Vincent Fermier. He uh, he took the name uh, with coaxing from his bandmates. Uh, they thought it would be funny to have the name of a female band and show up as this crazy hard rock band that was completely unlike what the audience expected. Um, you know, they were a hard-hitting garage rock band. And, and to me, Alice Cooper really became Alice Cooper on their third album, Love It to Death, which is when Bob Ezrin came on board as producer and 
And he was kind of like a, a member of the band, almost like the most important member of the band, really. And he kind of led them into, uh, you know, the hard rock uh, direction. First two albums were quite different, produced by Frank Zappa. Um, but really, to me, the third album was when they really came into their own. And, uh, you know, hardening garage rock with a heavy theatrical element. You know, they, they ventured into horror films, you know, with, with crazy stage show with guillotines and, and yeah. boa constrictors and oozing fake blood and things like that. So they were kind of like the first shock rock group, right? Uh, which, you know, will get into Kiss because they kind of took that to, to the next level. But, you know, again, I want to mention all the guys in the band because it was the Alice Cooper band and they all deserve a lot of credit. Alice, you know, you know, Michael Blues, for example, was was one of the main songwriters and Glenn Buxton, another very good guitar player, Dennis Dunaway on bass, Neil Smith drums. And uh, people forget about these guys because it's kind of a shame. Like it's become Alice Cooper and and the solo guy when it when really, you know, it's it's miss it's not representative of really, you know, the Alice Cooper band was the band who was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, not Alice Cooper, the solo artist. And, 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 that, and they got it right that time. Uh, they, they get a lot wrong, and we can have a whole episode on that, but they got that one right. Um, I, you know, so they did some great albums. I mentioned Love It to Death, Killer, Billion Dollar Babies, you know, singles like School's Out, obviously. I'm 18, you know, these are legendary, you know, teenage anthems to this day. Their, their greatest hits album was like, one of those classic greatest hits albums that, you know, became a classic album in its own right. Uh, you know, then the original band kind of splintered. Alice went solo, but he, he still did some good stuff, like Welcome to My Nightmare. Oh, yeah. It was a big album. You know, Only Women Bleed was a big song. But, you know, and then he had a late career comeback, right, in the late 80s with, in the hair band era with Poison and, uh, and kind of reached a whole new generation of fans. And, and he's kind of been very, you know, he's on all the VH1 specials and you, you see him, you know, he, he's kind of a larger than life kind of guy like Ozzy and uh, a little cartoonish too in that respect, maybe like Ozzy. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's done some good subsequent stuff. But to me, it's really more about the early stuff with the Alice Cooper band albums. Those are the ones I gravitate to. Some of the later ones are pretty good. But uh, to me, overall, not quite at that level. Kiss. Would there be Kiss without Alice Cooper? You know, that's that's what I, I that's why I pick Alice Cooper over this. Although Kiss were kind of legendary band in their own right. Uh, you had, uh, let's see, hold on a second. All right, so Kiss, you know, they were a simple band, right? Simple hard rock band. They had simple songs. The lyrics were kind of goofy, simple. Maybe you might say they even kind of sucked, but they were fun songs. They had a lot of good ones, you know. They uh, they they were all about the live extravaganza above all else, right? I mean, alive, alive too, alive, all these live albums, right? But they had great songs too, you know. Obviously, uh, rock and roll all night, but they had some great ballads even. Like Beth is one, obviously, but like uh, Hard Luck Woman, right? That was a great song with Peter Chris oh, yeah. sounding totally like Rod Stewart. <laughs> and the song was actually written for Rod Stewart, and uh, and Kiss kind of kept it. Uh, you know, they had multiple lead singers. Obviously, you know, very theatrical. Gene Simmons with the tongue and the shooting fire and, and all that. Uh, and they they kind of went a little nuts with the whole four simultaneous solo albums and the that Kiss meets the Phantom TV movie. Remember yeah. that? Oh my God, was that bad? And, uh, you know, but they kind of had a comeback when they, they unmasked, right? That was a big deal on MTV. And, and that era had some good stuff, too. Creatures of the Night, mm -hmm. Look It Up, you know, Asylum. Not Asylum, Animalized. Those were, those were good albums. Uh, you know, then later on, Revenge was a, was a good album. And then they had this whole another comeback with the MTV Unplugged. And then another big tour with the reuniting of the original lineup. But uh, you know, I think at times... The makeup back on the makeup back on doing the live two stage show and and every you know the old fans ate it up you know that was a nostalgia thing but hey everyone had a lot of fun and uh, obviously kiss made a lot of money and uh, that, that's part of my problem with kiss is i think you know after a while i think the marketing of kiss product 
became more important to them than continuing to produce and write good tunes. I think Gene kind of went Hollywood and kind of left it all on Paul at times. And uh, I just think, you know, they that really hurt their legacy. You know, they, what do they have, like 100 greatest hits albums? You know, for, for a band who professes to, to love their fans so much, they, they sure don't think twice about ripping them off. Uh, so, you know, and then Gene's kind of, said a lot of things over the years that kind of make you shake your head like he, I don't know, I'm not going to get that into it, but he, he, he can be kind of a dick. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I guess I did kind of get into it, but, uh, you know, Kiss, I, I, I'm a fan of Kiss, though. They, 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 they bring out the teenager in you, you know, and they're simple songs, but you can sing along to them, and they rock hard, and it's good stuff. I just think Kiss, you know, Alice Cooper was there first. With, so they have the influence factor. I think their best albums are better overall. Interesting, Bob Ezrin produced probably Kiss' best studio album, Destroyer. So there is that connection with Bob, Bob Ezrin with both bands. Uh, mm. So uh, you pronounced uh, you pronounced music from the elder wrong. Yeah, he did that one too, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, we you said their best album, Destroyer. Music from the album. <laughs> I think I think Gene called it uh, a bad, you know, he called it a bad Genesis album or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that was stuff. You know, they released it with them. They were trying still at that point. I'll give it up. World without heroes. Man. So I'll let Matt suspend some of those uh, malign Kiss albums. I won't go there. Malign it all you want. Lou Reed co-wrote that shit. So anybody that wants to get on their cool horse, um, but um, I am an unabashed. There's another Lou Reed linkage because when when Alice went solo, his main guitar tandem with with Steve uh, Hunter and Dick Wagner, who are also well known for playing with Lou Reed, you know, on Rock and Roll Animal and that that awesome guitar intro to Sweet Jane, right? Yes. On, that, on that live version. Yeah. Killer stuff. So uh, I think, again, both great bands in their own way, both kind of limited too. Uh, but uh, I think in terms of influence, and I just like their best stuff better, I'm, I'm going to go with Alice Cooper. So I, I, I guess you could certainly make a case for Kiss as well. Uh, it's not like I feel really strongly about it. You know, I, I think. Uh, I think they deserve to move on. And I, I'd be surprised if either one of them make it further than this, but we'll see. Yeah, no. I mean, excuse me. Alice Cooper advances. Um, you forgot the Feed My Frankenstein performance from Wayne's World, man. Oh, man. <laughs> you always come back to Wayne's World, the cable guy, Paulie Shaw. I, I can't keep track of this stuff. I am just, you know, I like, I just consume media, you know, and spit it back out. Uh, but, um, yo, that's how I found out about him, you know. Um, yeah. he, he pronounced pronounced Milwaukee. He pronounced Milwaukee in a different way and um, wore the leather and the he's a psycho. Yeah. And like, that was a big stage show. Um, I've never seen Alice Cooper live besides through Wayne's World. I have seen I mean, Kiss live. Um, yeah, I haven't seen either. I, I kind of wish I had. Yeah, um, my father saw Alice Cooper, told me that like he came out dressed like a tooth, and then the guitarist dressed like a toothbrush and was like brushing Alice Cooper <laughs> or something like that. You'd have to look it up, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Cooper, Cooper should advance. Um, Bob Ezrin, he's the guy that like he made a team basically, right? Like didn't like like he picked up on that and like kind of said that that was going to be one. Uh, yeah, he he totally changed the direction of the band. If you listen to those first two albums with Frank Zappa, they're they're totally different. Yeah, but um, you know, Kiss has a very special place in my brain. Um, I encourage and recommend that everybody spend. A couple of hours this weekend, whenever you hear this, just look up Paul Stanley's stage banter and just listen to it. <laughs> just people, people. <laughs> it's good. It's straight out of the Arena Rock Cliches handbook. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> um, I mean, there are bootleg records of that stuff. There's also uh, very good. He played the Phantom 
in Phantom of the Opera in some kind of tour or something. And there's some pretty good, like, almost like infomercially type commercials where he's like telling everybody, but it's this new thing I'm into and on Fugway where I, you know, I, I embody the Phantom. Oh, it's good. It's oh, cool. like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that he did that. <laughs> well, maybe I just forgot. No, I remember Sebastian Bach from Skid Row. Yes, was in yes. The... And oh well, no, that was Dr. Jekyll. That was was that Jekyll and Hyde? Yeah, yeah, he was out there. Don't feel bad about knocking Gene Simmons. He's okay, and he'll be okay with or without our support. He's yeah, an absolutely. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> you ever watch the roast of Gene Simmons? There's a on YouTube. There's a celebrity roast. It's actually oh, quite, yeah? quite very funny. Uh, and he was a good sport about it, I gotta say. Yeah, yeah, he was. And you got to Ace Frehley. I mean, he's very re highly regarded among guitar players, you know. So, uh, in terms of musicianship, he was was the main guy there. Um, yeah. Oh, I forget. You have more homework on the weekend. Tomorrow's show with Tom Schneider. Kiss was on it. Ace was drunk out of his mind. Uh, well, that was part of the problem with the yes, base. Yes, Ace had an issue, but Dean was such an ass, and like Ace is just like trying to have fun, and Gene's like, it's it. You could see it's like a failed marriage. Like, yeah, I think that's another reason to uh, to go Alice Cooper, where whereas maybe they had some issues the way they were kicked to the curb, but they kind of kept it civil, and I, I think still are friends. Whereas with with Kiss, there was a lot of drama. With, with the original band members and, and just kind of, I think that it kind of got a little unseemly at times and juvenile. So, uh, and, you know, it, it being close, that's, that's another reason to lean towards Cooper. Yeah. And our final first round matchup is going to be the number 10 seed Megadeth against the number three seed Motorhead. Well, my... Uh, my brother and some of my friends are, are, are very miffed by the seeding of Megadeth, I must say. Uh, <laughs> so I would agree that... Uh, and they're number nine. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree they are underseeded. Uh, but, you know, this is, you know, they're all good bands, so what, what are you going to do, right? Um, they were, uh, you know, you, you got to talk Metallica when you talk about Megadeth, right? Because... Uh, Dave Mustaine started out in, in Metallica, you know, played on some of the early stuff, but was kicked out of the band unceremoniously. He was kind of a nasty drunk is, is basically the main reason why. And it was, I think, more a personality thing than, than, than that he was not musically, uh, you know, up to the test, because he certainly was. And uh, he was very angry about this for many years, very bitter, but uh, honestly, Dave, kind of get over it already, right? It worked out for the best. We got two great bands instead of one. You got to lead your band, which you never would have been able to do in Metallica. Yeah. You're still a millionaire. Maybe you're not filthy, stinking, rich, multi-millionaire, but I think it worked out pretty well. And, and Megadeth, to me, you know, they're one of the quote-unquote big four, you know, thrash metal bands, along with Slayer, who we clearly definitely could have included here. And, and Anthrax, who, who I kind of feel were good, but not really, you know, they were very lucky to be considered one of the big four. To me, they were a distant fourth, but it was still a good band. Um, Metallica, I mean, Megadeth, uh, you know, they, they had, uh, you know, I, I, you know, it's, I went to actually more Me Megadeth concerts, I think, than any other band. Uh, Megadeth, oh. Motorhead, and or Maiden, one of those. I've been to a bunch of their concerts. And, and they were always great. And this was post, like, prime Megadeth, usually, you know? Because really, I guess there were, are two classic Megadeth lineups. The one, the early one that did T-Cells, but who's buying with, with Garth Samuelson on drums and Chris Poland. Dave Ellison was the long-term bass player. He's been there almost the whole way. He, he left for a few years later on, and they, there was a lawsuit, but they ended up patching things up. So it's always been Dave, Dave Mustaine and, and Ellison and, and, and then, you know, two other guys. And the, the other classic lineup, the main classic lineup, was, was when they had Nick Menta on drums and, and especially Marty Friedman on guitar, and, and what a guitar player he was. Uh, and that, that produced their classic albums, Rust in Peace, uh, which was probably their greatest album with Holy Wars and Hangar 18 and Tornado of Souls, just legendary songs, fantastic. Um, 
when you're counting down to, to extinction was another great one with symphony for destruction sweating bullets other great songs um you know then euthanasia was a good one cryptic writing and then risk was the last one with that lineup was really kind of a, a very pop you know very commercial misfire you know like a black album but but much worse and uh then you know there's been a lot of different people in and out of Megadeth since then. It's been, you know, I don't think any of the subsequent stuff has been as good, but some of it's been good. Again, he always brings it live. He's, you know, they've always attracted very good musicians because of the quality of, of you know, the main two guys as musicians and, and, and the clout that the main Megadeth has. So I would, you know, I'd say also they're they're an intelligent band. They're a thinking man's metal band. You know, very political. You know, Dave is not just writing about you know getting laid and the typical metal uh, you know stuff. There's some thought behind his lyrics, like foreclosure of a dream, right? About getting your house foreclosed on. That's not your typical metal lyrics, you know. So uh, definitely, uh, I love Megadeth. They're uh, they're they're a great band to me. Uh, but we're going against the Motorhead here, you know, again, one of my other bands that I've seen in concert multiple times. And uh, I'm going to start with a little history with, with Lenny. He was a, a roadie for Jimi Hendrix. He was in this insane band called Hawkland. Yep. I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but they he were got more... kicked out for what, smoking too much or something? No, no. He was a speed freak and the rest of the band were on acid. So uh, he, yes. He, yes. He, taking he the wrong the, drugs. Taking the wrong drugs, exactly. And uh, they were a good band, Hawkwind. Very more space rock, stoner rock, uh, but heavy, really heavy for the early seventies and uh, some good shit, man. Look their live album Space Ritual is a great starting point. Uh, but he got kicked out of the band for Motorhead with uh, you know, they coalesced around fast Eddie Clark was the guitar player and Phil Filthy Animal was the, the drummer. And, uh, you know, they were, uh, you know, we talk about the word grunge to, to, you know, these other 90s bands like Nirvana, but I think that word epitomizes Motorhead sound better than anything. They were, you know, he had a great quote, Lenny, I think he said, if we moved next door, your lawn would die. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he had that, that, huge roaring bass sound that, that, that was hoarse goggled with glass vocals and and they were just so fast and, and heavy and uh you know i think their peak was like 79 overkill and through maybe you know ace of spades obviously was yep. the biggest song and album and and uh no sleep till hammersmith great yes. live album and then like through the mid 80s you know they were they were actually like had number one albums in the UK, which is almost mm. hard to believe. Uh, they, they were always more of a cult band in the United States, and uh, which is why you know even in his later years he kept pumping out albums year after year and nonstop touring because that's how he you know he needed to do that I think to to earn you know a, a living that he that he wanted. And uh, but they were like I said later on they, their albums were uh, I mean they're they, you know they had uh with a Phil Campbell and uh, Mickey D was was really his his late period band who were there really like maybe 20 years or so at the end and uh Mickey D is the best live drummer I've ever seen I mean flat out like jaw-droppingly good and you know I've seen Neil Peart you know I've seen uh, Adam Jones Jimmy Chamberlain Carter Buford Mighty Max Weinberg you know Dave Lombardo, I, I've seen oh, yeah. a lot of amazing drummers, and this guy was second to none. And you know, Lenny would even introduce him as the greatest drummer in the world, and and you know, I believed it. And uh, interestingly enough, he always announced him, "We are Motorhead, and we play rock and roll." That's what he would. Yeah, he'd always start the concert, and and it just showed he didn't think of them as punk or metal or thrash metal, even though he was hugely influential on all those things. He he always thought of them as just a really loud rock and roll band. And uh, they always stayed true to that spirit. They, they, they weren't much in terms of variety. They did what they did, but they did it so good. And, and their best stuff was really so exciting and, and, and so unique that, uh, and so influential that as much as I love Megadeth, I think you have to go with Motorhead here. Yeah, um, Motorhead lived it, uh, lived it in a way that very few others have. 
I, I think that that amounts for something. Um, yeah. I mean, let me, you know, <laughs> he's he is himself. There is no one else. Uh, one of those guys who just one name, right? Lemmy. Yeah. yeah. Um, sorry for shooting Megadeth tenth. I, you know, we wanted to make this go against Alice Cooper. Like these are political things. You know, this is the same reason that the NIT and the NCAA. It's all big money. It's weird. You know, we got boosters to deal with. Like, there's a lot of factors that go into this. A lot of payola going on here. I do have a good story. I wanted to say one thing about Megadeth. It shows how, how cool they are. And uh, my son and I were talking. He's into music. He's 19 now. And, and he was saying how he didn't think Megadeth, you know, was... I was saying I thought Megadeth was the second best of the big four after Metallica. And he was disagreeing with me, right? So I'm driving into the gym. He's working out. This is a couple years ago. He, you know, he didn't have his license yet. And uh, I play Hangar 18. I might just listen to this, right? And I'm blasting it, right? And it's like a five-minute drive to the gym. So we'll listen, we'll listen. I see he's really digging it, right? And as we pull up to the gym, the song ends. I shut it off. I say, I rest my case. And he just nodded knowingly like, yeah, I right. get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, let's rust in peace, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, that's... That's the stuff that made its way to me. I, I didn't consume Megadeth at any uh, rapid rate by any means, but yeah. the cap to them, you know, um, Mustaine, uh, interesting lyrics, you know, from what I've read, I, I, I have heard um, and did take it upon myself to kind of review some things. And I do appreciate his take um, in, on, in a couple of those 80s records uh, and then the, the early 90s as well. Um, we covered the Sex Pistols, you know, we covered some of these punk bands, and uh, yep. his voice was definitely, you know, we, we've mentioned acquired taste vocals, I, I would say he certainly fits in that category as well, but I guess Lemmy yeah. does too. Yeah, but I don't, do you want Lemmy to sound any different? Like, what do you want him <laughs> to sound like? What, what... <laughs> it, it wouldn't be the same, you're yeah. right. That's, that's... And, and what do you want a man that looks like that? sound like yeah. what do you want a man that sounds like that to look like, like you know, <laughs> I, I mentioned in the, when we talked about rod stewart that as soon as he opens his mouth you know it's him like certainly the same is true of lenny for sure for sure and that gets us to uh the next round this is going to be this is tough you got eo against motorhead this this is tough because I love them both so much. Uh, my friend Eric would, would be will be heartbroken regardless of who wins this because they're like his two favorite bands. Uh, but I'm gonna go with with Motorhead for for influence, um, living that lifestyle. Like you said, I, I think Dio. You know, it's hard to say. You know, Dio. Like I said, he had that amazing run. Um, Lemmy had a pretty damn good run too. You know, and you know, like I mentioned before. Uh, ultimately, I, I think Motorhead is a little more singular. They're a little more influential, and uh, and Lemmy's just like the coolest guy in rock and roll, you know. So uh, I got to go with the Leinster as much as I love Dio. Yeah, I would I would agree. Uh, it's not a knock, you know. It's just a further nod for Lemmy. I mean, for Motorhead, you know. And, and One of those things. Where, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, they're going to be in the semis. That's... It's one of those things where it's like you can't win because, like, they're both flip a coin, you know. It's Dio, I, I think, is good enough to win this whole thing. But, you know, when you, when you factor certain things, Motorhead just comes out of top a little bit, you know. In yeah. terms of pure enjoyment, I, I probably listen to Dio more often, to be honest with you. Huh. But, uh, but Motorhead, when, when you need an, uh, an adrenaline run, you know, like just play something. You're at the gym working out, and you want something that just kicks ass for for three, four minutes. Motorhead is is yep. tough. There you go. And now we've got Thin Lizzy against Alice Cooper. This one is is kind of easy to me. Um, yeah. All due respect to Alice Cooper, when you put the catalog side by side, I, I think Thin Lizzy uh, is the clear winner here in, in almost every aspect. So. Uh, 
all due respect to Alice, uh, I do want to mention my favorite Alice Cooper song about a Dwight Fry. You ever hear that one? I don't know, but I'll check it out. It's about a guy in a mental uh, institution. It's a great song. I love it to death. Uh, again, that's the thing with some of these bands. It's the, it's the songs you don't hear on the radio that, that kind of make that lasting impact. You know, that's that that's that's when you're you know you're a damn good band. You know, when when you're on the, the Sirius XM Deep Tracks channel and uh, you know instead of the the all the classic rock ones and and you have enough of a deep catalog that you can pump out these really cool uh, songs that didn't get any airplay. But uh, Thin Lizzy has a million of those type of songs, really. Yeah. You go album to album, and there's just they were so consistent, and so good, and uh, you know I could go on and on about Phil Lynott, you know, singing, songwriting. Uh, the, all the many great guitar players, the brilliant drummer. They're, they're just an amazing band. So they're, they're definitely going forward here. Yeah. So that's going to put the semis of Deep Purple, the number one seed, going to play Motorhead, and Tim Lizzy is going to play Judas Priest, the number two seed. Deep Purple, Motorhead, what do you think? Wow. Uh, I'm going to go with Deep Purple, the number one seed. Uh, I, I think you could make a case for Motorhead, but I, I think Deep Purple, they're another band that had a really long career with many different lineups, but really, you know, the first lineup had three albums and, and uh, Hush was the big song, you know, from that era. It was, you know, they really peaked with the second Mark II lineup when Ian Gillen joined and Roger Glover. Uh, joined uh, John Lord, great keyboard player, and, and Richie Blackmore, the guitar wizard, and Ian Pace, one of the all-time underrated drummers, the, the only guy who was there from beginning to end, still there. I think the, the heart of the band was, was those guitar duels between, the, you know, Richie Blackmore and John Lord, and then you had Ian Gillen, was was one of the, was an amazing singer. Uh, listen to Child in Time, for example, I, I think that may be the greatest performance on any hard rock song ever. Machine Head was a legendary album. Smoke on the Water, right? Yeah. You know, what guitar, you you go into a guitar store, you're trying out the guitar for the first song, for the first time, the song you're probably going to play is Smoke on the Water, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Lazy, Highway Star with that amazing guitar solo, Space yep. Trucking, classic song after class. And then there was Fire, the Fireball was before that. In Rock was before that, were also very strong albums. And then, uh, Ian Gillen and Roger Glover were, you know, were kicked out of the band, and and David Coverdale and Glenn Hughes joined, who were, you know, and Burn was a was a great album. So at the time, you're like, all right, it makes sense. This album is is another classic. The title track, Mistreated, was another great bluesy song. What's interesting is uh, you listen to Coverdale on that and on those albums, and he sounds more like Paul Rogers than Robert Plant. You know, later on with Whitesnake, you know, he was accused of ripping off Plant, but it's, it's definitely a more lower pitch, uh, more Paul Rogers-like macho kind of vocal on those uh, Deep Purple albums. But, you know, again, the, the band turnover was a big problem. Richie Blackmore left, and, and a, a really talented guy who I don't know if you're familiar with, but Tommy Bolin uh, replaced him. And uh, this guy, it's funny because he's, he's kind of known for replacing legendary guitar players because he replaced Joe Walsh in the James Gang, but ah. yeah, he had two great, really good soul albums too, Teaser and Private Eyes, and, and he played with Billy Cobham on this album, Spectrum. Uh, Billy Cobham, you know, the amazing drummer from the fusion band, the Mahavishnu Orchestra, mm. did this album, Spectrum, and, and his guitar playing on that album is phenomenal. So this guy was the real deal. He could have really been something else. You know, unfortunately, he, he's one of those guys who died of a drug overdose at a, at a very young age and, and you know, a lot of unrealized potential. But, uh, you know, then Deep Purple kind of disappeared for a while, but then they had that comeback in, I think, like, 84 with Knocking on Your Back Door and Perfect Strangers. You, you were too young to probably remember it, but it was a big deal back then uh, mm. when, when they came back. And then they... They kind of, you know, Blackmore, again, him and Gillen especially couldn't get along and, and Blackmore left the band. And, and I don't think Gillen's voice is what it was. But, uh, you know, Morse, what was his, what was his first name? Uh, Steve. 
Steve Morse, yeah. He uh, there's also a Neil Morse, so I'm kind of confusing. Mm. Steve Morse, you know, from the Dixie Dregs and some other bands as well. He's in Kansas, some solo stuff. He he has been a long time replacement for Blackmore. So they they've done some good stuff since they they still tour, you know, all this. So uh, and the thing about Purple is they have all these offshoots, right? You have you have Blackmore and Rainbow. You had this band, Captain Beyond. I don't know if you've heard of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Rod Evans, their first singer, his first, his next band, the first album was fantastic. Uh, Ian Gillen had his own self-titled band. You had White Snake. You had, you know, Glenn Hughes solo, and 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 Glenn Hughes and Pat Thrall did this other really good album together. Another band called Warhorse. You had all these great offshoots, which to me makes that Umbrella entry with Deep Purple all the more impressive. You know? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, given that, I, I would say, you know, given how, and just the talent in the band, they're one of the great live bands in terms of the improvisation, like Live in Japan is one of the great live albums, and they were right there with Zeppelin in terms of improvisation and, and, and just so loud. I think they were in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's loudest band, but uh-huh. each guy was a master at what they did. John Lord on keyboards, Ian Pace on drums, Richie Blackmore, Roger Glover and Ian Gillen. I mean, they're one of those bands. When you talk about overall talent, they're they're up there with like Zeppelin and Queen and The Who and you know and, and Yes and Rush and these other like super talented bands where each guy was an absolute master of what they did. So as much as I love Motorhead, they did what they did. They did their own thing. Nobody does what Motorhead does, and they did it great. Uh, overall, I think a slight nod to Deep Purple for all the many reasons I mentioned. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know what you're talking about, man. And I can't really put anything up against it. I, I have some work to do, admittedly, on Deep Purple. I know, I know Machine Head. I know the hits. Um, and that's it. I, I, I kind of want to check out some of the live stuff. From an improv standpoint, and from just kind of a, a like loosening up on the tune standpoint, I definitely want to check that out. All right, so Matt has some homework, and we're going to test him on the next episode. You'll do nothing <laughs> of the sort. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I got these boosters, you know. I mean, <laughs> um, so yeah, with college athletics, I don't actually have to. Do right so <laughs> all right so now we've got uh Ben Lizzie against number two seed here's freaking heavy metal parking lot priest it is they're, priest, so good, they're so good <laughs> you know, priest you know they I don't know if any band epitomizes heavy metal more than Judas Priest right just the the, the biker look the the you know Halford is the, like the ultimate heavy metal singer yeah. Um, you had the dual guitars, right, with Glenn Tiffin and K.K. Downing. Um, now there's a newer guy in the band whose name escapes me, but he's really good, too. He replaced K.K. And uh, I got to say, even their last album, Firepower, was, was great, like, from two years ago. And, uh, you know, they had a great run of, you know, like, starting with, say, Sad Wings of Destiny in 76. They... They, you know, they were very prolific. Year after year, they came out with, with one good album after another, Sin After Sin, uh, No Hellbent for Leather, yep. uh, British Steel, with with that memorable album cover, remember? And uh, then uh, the one after that wasn't as good uh, at Point of Entry. Mm-hmm. It was okay. But the, the next two were really good. Uh, uh, Screaming for Vengeance. Defenders of the Faith, and, and that's like that's when I got into Priest in, in that yeah. era. And uh, I mean, that's up. I know Vengeance, Defenders, and yeah. I, I know the the one with the razor on it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Screaming for Vengeance, and uh, and you know those are the songs you hear on the radio, Living After Midnight, and and you've got another thing coming, right? And uh, you know. What's the one with Beavis and Butthead, right? Breaking the law. Breaking the law, man. <laughs> and uh, Painkiller in '90 was it was another killer album. It was like, uh, you know, they were clearly influenced by ba- heavier bands like Pantera, who who could have certainly been in this tournament. 
and really one of their very best albums. So, you know, this is 90, you know, we're throwing 76 and 90 of just a lot of quality. Uh, late 80, mid late 80s uh, with Turbo and Ram It Down, not quite as good. They got into the whole 80s synthesizers and kind of dated sounding, a little too commercial. But overall, they really kind of, you know, I think they kind of dumped down the lyrics a little bit as they, they kind of went along to kind of a little more, you know, generic, let's rock out kind of stuff. Whereas yeah. the earlier stuff were more intelligent, thinking man's kind of music. But great, great band. Uh, Scott Travis on Painkiller, I want to mention him, the drummer, because he, he really, he's been with them ever since. And I think he really was, was a lot better than their prior drummer, Dave Holland. Earlier on, they had Simon Reynolds was in the band. He's like, Another one of those guys, check his Wikipedia page. He's played with everybody. Just a great drummer. Les Binks was another great drummer. But it, it's kind of like Pearl Jam, right? They they weren't very friendly to their drummers, you know, <laughs> like Spinal Tap to a degree. But but Travis has kind of solidified that. Excellent drummer. And then you have the metal god himself, Rob Halford. Uh, just the ultimate, you know, heavy metal singer, uh, you know. And uh, so they're a great band. Yeah, and the studded leather and the, bringing the Harley on stage and, uh, and then the smoke, right, on the stage. Yep. You know, they had the whole, you know, thing. Uh, it's, it was metal to the, to, to the core. They never apologized for being metal, even during those times when maybe metal wasn't cool, you know. Uh, they always stood to their guns and they, they, they did what they did and they were great at it. So... I would say, in terms of greatness, it's close between them and, and Thin Lizzy, but in terms of influence and success, it's Priest all the way. So, uh, you know, I got to go with Judas Priest, even though deep down, maybe I, I like Thin Lizzy better. Uh, maybe, I don't know. I love Priest too. So, uh, but I think that, you know, when, when we talk about casting that net and all that stuff we talked about in prior episodes, it's, uh, it's got to be Priest. Yeah, it does. I, I like both Thin Lizzy and Judas Priest a great deal. I think I listen to Lizzy, Thin Lizzy a little more. Um, but honestly, and I'll say this, some of the poppier or catchier, the hits of Priest, combined with sort of the drivingness of certain Thin Lizzy, there's, there's some underground, maybe it's pop punk, that hangs out at a bar. Um, but there's a there's a scene of scroungy kind of rock and roll people that play shows with some bands that I'm familiar with, and they are heavily. It is like a very tuneful but poppy, but kind of like through the meat grinder of like Thin Lizzy and Judas Priest are the two points of reference that I hear so much in these bands. Um, in like Brooklyn and you know parts of inner city whatever hipstery whatever it might be um there's there's some big influence there whether they know it or not whether they cop to it or not you know but you could definitely hear it um and that puts Priest in the finals against Deep Purple it went chalk a couple upsets but one and two are the ones yeah yeah I, I said this tournament would be less predictable, but uh, would, would be more unpredictable, but maybe it's not turning out that way. But I think we got the right two here. Um, you know, one thing yeah. about, you know, I want to say also is we talk, you know, Priest, they're heavy metal, but there's melody there. That, I think that's one thing that got lost somewhere along the way with, with heavy metal getting too heavy and almost, like you still have to have that melody. It, heavy does not equal good. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think, a lot of the more recent bands have kind of forgotten that. And uh, the, what made Priest and, and Maiden you know, so great was they were heavy, but they had songs you could sing along to also yep. and, and catchy choruses. And uh, they didn't forget the songwriting, you know. And uh, Deep Purple, you know, they're, they're a legendary band. This, this is a hard one. I think we even went back and forth on this from what I remember. But yeah. uh, I, I think... Uh, Priest wins, you know, they, I think they had a little more stability. I think they had a little more success over a longer period of time. Uh, you know, I mentioned the, like the later career comebacks like Painkiller and, and, uh, and Firepower, you know, just a couple of years ago. I think influence-wise, they, they 
I think they win that as well. Um, again, the singers are both so legendary, but again, I think Halford is a little bit more legendary. And uh, I just think uh, by a little bit, you got to go with Priest here. We're talking hard rock metal. I, I think they, they, they're just a, a little bit higher on that pedestal. Yeah, I would agree. Um, so who cuts the, down the net? Uh, Glenn Tipton and, and uh, Rob we'll let, we'll, we'll let We'll let KK cut it down since he's right. not in the band anymore. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll throw him that bone. Um, <laughs> or maybe one of the drummers that they, you know, that they cast aside <laughs> over here. <laughs> do, yourselves, do yourselves a favor. I'm giving you all some more homework. Uh, Google Heavy Metal Parking Lot. Watch it. It's great. Oh, so funny. It's awesome. I love that. just the crowd outside of a priest show at the peak. I of, watched that recently, actually, and I was cracking up. Yeah, and uh, it, it's just like outside the Maryland Civic Center, and it's... It's, it's a real time capsule, man. It, yeah. it, it's funny, because I, I was at shows like that, and it's it's very funny to watch. I think instead of, instead of climbing a ladder, they have to climb uh, Rob's Harley to cut the nets. Why don't we, why don't we do that? <laughs> there you go, there you go. Uh, well, that wraps up Heavy Metal Hard Rock Round. So far, the Grateful Dead have won the classic round, and Judas Priest is victorious here in the heavy hard rock. We've got indie and women coming up on the next couple episodes of Music Nerds Unite. I got some Deep Purple to listen to, and y'all have some YouTube videos to watch. Have a good night, Scott. You too. Good night, everyone. So long.